Welcome to episode four of the Lost Luggage podcast. This week we are talking all about food. Once again, we have been to over 150 countries between us, and in most, we've ate something absolutely vile and disgusting. But enough about pot noodles, let's get on with the show. Joining me this week, as per usual, are a man whose Tinder bio describes him as outgoing, posh, and a qualified aerospace engineer, and a massive liar. That's Mr. William Peachy. And in contrast, a man whose Tinder bio simply says the words, completed it, mate. Teddy Simpson. And if anyone cares, I don't have Tinder, and my name is Ollie. Chaps, it's the fifth week of isolation. How are we doing? Completed Tinder. <laughs> yeah, I did it. Completed it, mate. Swipe right on everybody. Don't seem to be getting any matches, though. They must all be outside. I've got to the point where um, I can't use any more matches. That's how bad it's been. Is that how it works? I can't, Just I can't swipe right anymore. I've run out. Just for anyone listening, I don't get dating apps. I never have, and I, I probably never will use them. These two, on the other hand, are quite the connoisseurs. Am I right? It's an art, well, really. It's like it's like Michelangelo with the stone, except our our chisel and our hammer is Tinder. <laughs> we, dear, we sculpt it's oh about. I mean, you know me. You know how sort of undesirable I probably am to the opposite sex. <laughs> it's about conveying something else. It's like I don't know, being an actor. When you're an actor, you play a historical figure. I'm playing a normal human being who's just normal, so and you know that that takes a lot of work. So what you're saying in a roundabout way. Tinder is a form of unreality in which you can be, you can, you can, it's like going to university. You can kind of leave your old friends exactly. behind and that choose whatever character exactly. you would like to play, like a Shakespearean actor. You are Patrick Stewart. <laughs> that is literally the most perfect description of it. As, yeah, that's it. That is it. Or maybe that's why, I, that's why I, I like to think of myself as somewhat of an actor. I mean, I pretend to like you two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, all right. Oh, got me right through. Anyway, chaps. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> anyway, um, yes, once again, it is, it is still in the coronavirus time. So again, if the audio quality isn't up to scratch, don't blame us, blame God. Uh, Teddy's in Manchester, William's in Surrey, I'm in Devon. Let's get on the show and talk about food from around the world. Welcome to part one of the Lost Luggage podcast. This episode is episode four, and it's all about food. But before we get into that, we always start part one with a tale from the archives. So I'm going to hand over to my main man, Mr. William Peachy, and his spinning wheel of fortune, which is going to land on a name. Those names are going to be Ollie, William, or Teddy. William, spin that wheel. That's over to me. We've got a new £50,000 wheel, and I'm going to spin it now. That's where I'll bet you it's definitely not a mug. <laughs> and it's on Mr. Oliver Jenks. Do you know who that is? I do. That would be myself, sir. Perfect. Let's hear it. Splendid. Right. Today's, or this week's, uh, Tale of the Archive um, is more of a, it's more of a race to get back home, really. And it's, it's a tale within another tale. Um, so I might have to, I'm going to leave a huge chunk of it out and just kind of go in with the, with the deep stuff. Um, so a while ago, I was driving to Mongolia. That's the deep stuff. That's a long story. Forget about that for now. It will come up another time. Anyway. I do. It That's is, a it good is. story as well. Maybe put that on like the uh, bonus tracks or something. Um, 
So, I was driving to Mongolia, and to get into Mongolia, you've got to drive through Russia. So I've already already driven through Russia once. Now, my Russian visa allows me to go back into Russia again. But I'd only been in Mongolia for five days and didn't really want to spend... I wanted to spend a bit more time there because, you know, driving all the way there took nearly three months. I wanted to spend a bit more time there. Yeah. Um, so my Russian visa expired. Now, my only way of getting home was either to fly or to drive back through Siberia and Russia. Now, where Mongolia and Russia meet is on the far, pretty much far east, um, just under, well, under the eastern side of Siberia. So, you know, the other side of the world, essentially. And I was, I couldn't really fly back because it meant I would have to leave the car in Mongolia and that can land me with a $20,000 fine. So I didn't really want to pay that. So I thought the only option I've really got is to drive back. But how can I do that without a visa, I hear you ask? Well, there is such thing called uh, a, a transit visa, which I could get from the Russian embassy in the capital of Mongolia, which is Ulaanbaatar, one of the most polluted cities on the planet. Um, although I found it pleasantly quite lovely in its own charming way anyway it took me two and a half weeks to get this transit visa meanwhile i was horse riding trekking and things from archery in the mongolian deserts um managed to get a transit visa now when i got this transit visa i'd envisioned it would give me a fair bit of time to drive three quarters of the fucking world in fact it only gave me 10 bloody days do you know the mileage Ten days. What, what was the do you know how far it was yeah, it was roughly 2,000 miles. So you have to do 2,000 miles in 10 days. Wow. To, yeah, and that's to get from Mongolia to Belarus, where I was intending on uh, getting back into Europe. Fucking hell. So that's a that's the sort of trek that Peter the Great took, like, hundreds of years to do to unify Russia, and you had, what, 10 days? 10 days. The exact same length. <laughs> I had 10 days in a 1.2 English Volkswagen with no headlights, a broken fuel gauge, no wind wipers, a tyre I had to pump up every single morning, a leaking fuel tank, among other, other problems. So you, you had, had to pump up the tyre every morning. You what, sorry? You had to pump up the tyre every single morning. Yeah, so we... we Prior to Mongolia, we, we'd blown. I was travelling with some other people, but they had to fly back to uh, fly back home to work. So I was travelling solo at this point. Um, yeah, so we went through like four or five tyres, and the one we kept on was the one that had essentially split. But we managed to put some like sealant and some rubber in it, um, which meant it would hold. But it would, you know, it, it's one of those tyres that you're kind of meant to change when you can get to a garage. Yeah. But I, I yeah. drove on it for. 3,000, well, 2,000 miles, and then uh, sold it to someone. I bet you been pretty tired of that, weren't you? Well, every morning, it's a routine. You've got to plug in your um, compressor in, in a cigarette lighter and then and blow up the time. It's absolutely mad. Well, that brings back so, memories. No, I, oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe that could be your story next week. Mm. I haven't got Same. that compressor back, by the way. Okay. Sorry? I haven't got that compressor back. Where is it? I, I need to say I've still got I've got it don't worry okay. <laughs> just, just I haven't stolen it clean it on eBay don't, check. don't bother checking eBay at all I mean <laughs> yeah. I've never used eBay you've been drinking it haven't you <laughs> you've been no, getting high off the supply off the, off the foam <laughs> does look there's, there's a certain rule I don't don't abide by don't get high off your own supply oh wait it's not mine it's yours uh, oh fuck you don't, you, you've outflanked yeah, me I've still had a load of tyre foam Anyway, so anyway, so it's got, I've got 10 days to drive back. Apart from I don't, because when you get through the Mongolian-Russian border, it took well over a day, well over a day, 
How, so now how I've been every day because the queues are hum- humongous. We tried to get there at midnight. Um, well, we got there, ended up getting there at midnight, and um, I they gave me this paperwork to fill out for a temporary car import, um, and I kept on filling it out wrong because I don't speak Russian. Really? And, uh, I did not. Yeah, it, it, it took long. So by the time we got to the other side and through the border. I had eight and a half days to drive into Europe. That's mad. But the thing is that the Russia-Mongolia border strikes me as a border that would be totally dead and totally empty. It's crazy that it was traffic. You've got to remember that there's not very many roads in, in Mongolia. Um, so like any kind of hardware or any kind of trade or industry is all coming through this main road. Yeah, I guess. Um, I think, you know, in hindsight, I probably should go on to another border post, but I didn't know where one was. Mm. Anyway, so we kind of... Um, yeah, it took a day and a half to get through there and we stayed somewhere at like three in the morning and had to get up early at the bottom of Lake Baikal. Now, I was hell-bent on making it to Moscow. I didn't want to just fly through Russia completely um, and not see anything. So I thought, you know what, we're going to drive as much as we can and get to Moscow and then spend a day in Moscow and at least we could have said, you know, we've seen a bit of Russia kind of thing. Yeah. And obviously, Moscow is amazing. Um, so next day we are in the bottom of Siberia. We've stayed a night in this little shack. Um, we're at Lake, um, we're next to Lake Baikal. Now Lake Baikal, I believe is the largest freshwater lake in the world. It's absolutely huge in, in, in winter. It freezes over completely. Um, it can get to like minus 40 there. It's unreal. Now it's very wet and it's very damp. And as I alluded to earlier on, we didn't really have any working headlights and our wipers didn't really work either. So I'm driving in a rainstorm up this hill and we're suddenly stopped by the police and we don't know why mm. and we stopped there for an hour then two hours then three hours four six hours go by and we're stopped on this hill by a policeman and we have no idea why he's not speaking to us he's refusing to talk to us we don't know why and the weather is still just a bit drizzly at this point he eventually lets us by and we're like for fuck's sake we've only got so much time we can you know we can waste we get up to the top of the hill and I don't know how the climate changed as quickly, but the whole forest, the whole landscape, anywhere you can see for miles, is completely buried in the most amount of snow I've ever seen in my life. Absolutely caked. So what they were doing in that, in that six hours was clearing the road. Ah, right. Okay. Like a snowstorm or something that just suddenly happened. Yeah. Absolute blizzard. And this was in, this was in, um, must have been, yeah, this was in September. Mm, Siberia though I guess no, exactly 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 it is absolutely I've never seen anything like it especially in September as well and you know all that's going through my head is I'm not going to make it you know it's, it's we got all this time I really want to say Moscow kind of thing um, anyway we Fun stay fact, yeah true as we're, as, as we're travelling further west we, we stay at a few like truck stops it's not glamorous we are, we, are, we are doing 12, maybe 13, 14 hours driving a day in horrible conditions on horrible roads. Now, we try and take a detour and take a quieter road where there's going to be less trucks because we're only averaging like 50 miles an hour because you can constantly stuck behind logging trucks and they're very difficult to overtake on like single track ways. So we thought we'd take a quieter road and make up more ground. But we accidentally ended up driving into Kazakhstan, um, which we didn't have a visa for. And we were using an app called Maps Me, which can be good, don't get me wrong, but 
has a, uh, a tendency to be also fucking fucking terrible and make me want to destroy my phone at the Kazakhstan border post. Mm. Oh, you, you just got to remember, that in my head, I'm constantly stressed. I've got the car I've got to worry about and pump up the tyres every morning. I've got headlights and shit that don't work, leaky fuel gauge, whatever. Did you have, did you have grey hair at the end of this trip? Surprisingly not, and you know, not I've got my genetic code for that. But then, and then I'm also rushing to get back into Europe before I get deported and arrested, and I end up in fucking Kazakhstan. Plenty out. Is there a se- there's a separate situation for Kazakhstan with the visas? I assume. Yeah, so um, we're only allowed to enter Kazakhstan once every three months. I wasn't allowed back in with the car, essentially. So we get to the border, and we're like, "What is this? A, a truck stop?" And we're like, "No, this is Kazakhstan." I was like. Why isn't my fucking map telling me that? According to my map, we're still in Russia somewhere. I was, I was so angry. Oh, I, I, I just wanted to, the world to swallow me up at this point. And bear in mind, I said, as I said, uh, yeah, as I said a few minutes ago, we were kind, we weren't even on a main road. It was kind of off the beaten track. So what we would have to do at this point, we would have to double back on ourselves and go back the way we came for another eight hundred and fifty miles. Jesus, to get to a point where we can go on the road above and carry on west to Moscow. That's not even like a small detour. That's easy talking. I don't even know how long that would take. You're going 50 mile an hour as well. Exactly. And if we had gone, if we if we had done that, that would have been within four days to get to the border. Now, what we done instead is that we noticed on MapsMe, I don't know why we decided to trust, uh, trust MapsMe again, but we did. What we, what we saw was a smaller little road, a tiny road that went and joined the north track um, about 200 miles away from, from the Kazakhstan border. So we thought, well, we can either spend another 10 hours in the car going 850 miles back the other way, or we could spend five hours seeing if this little track takes us back um, to where it said it would, back onto the main road north of us. So we went to go and do that. So rather than go straight, double back on ourselves and go straight back, we went back for about 200 miles, then turned left, which would take us north, and then northwest. Now, I've driven on some shit roads, but this road, it looked like an atomic bomb had gone off. It was just an, uh, it was like, you ever seen on news, like there's been an earthquake in Japan and like all the concrete and the tarmac just like crumpled up. Yeah. Yeah. It was like that for 150 odd miles. Jesus. And Russian, um, Russian roads meant, for that, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then, which meant we were averaging about 30 miles an hour. And my head at this point is a ticking time bomb. I am like, I'm never going to fucking see the end of this. We haven't booked anywhere to stay tonight. What the fuck's going to, you know, I, what happened? Anyway, the road suddenly started to get a little, little bit better. That's because we were approaching a village and a village that probably had, I don't know, it was a community of farmers, really. It was tiny, it was tiny. But all the roads suddenly turned from relatively good tarmac into mud just exactly what you needed at that point eh mate yeah into mud and maps me was didn't even recognize this town as here so what i would have had to do was navigate through this town to find the joint road to continue going north now i'm not very good at that and never never have been so i was just following this tractor in front of me which was immediately a bad idea because tractors notoriously are very good at going through mud and 1.2 500 pound Vauxhall dealers are not and um, so what ultimately ended up hap- happening 
was that I was going down this road and it had houses either side, but um, but before you kind of go into the houses, there was like a river banks, and I the car got trapped in mud. Started doing pirouettes. No joke, it was doing three sixties in the mud as I was trying to re- regain control. It looked like Colin McRae was having a crash, and it. I put on the handbrake, put the brakes on, and the car still still was sliding in a 360 motion and then ended up into face first, bonnet first, into the river. And that's the car gone? Or is the car fucked no. at this point? Or? No, the car is at a 90-degree angle, or no, 70-degree angle, face first into this little riverbed thing. Fuck. And there's no one around. I, it, this place is deserted, apart from a few tractors and a few farmers. It's pissing it down. It's muddy as shit. I... In the corner of my eye, at the end of this road, which rejoined to a kind of a bit of a better road in the village, I saw a four by four police van, like a Land Rover, old Land Rover Defender. Yeah. And I wound down the window, despite smoke and everything coming out of the car, jumped out through the window and legged it after this four by four, which was about three, four hundred meters away, through thick mud. So, realistically, even Usain Bolt wouldn't have been able to. Chase down yeah. this thing. <laughs> yeah. So I got to the end of the road. I got to the end of the road and I was like, oh, where, where's this fucking thing? Anyway, turns out it, it stopped at the house at the end of the road. I was like, you fuck you. Lucky fucking... bastard. I know, right? And I, I took the tow rope with me and I was like, <laughs> oh, I'd never do this if I was back in England, but I just knocked on the door. <laughs> 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 they could have been like they could have been investigating a murder or like a crime scene or anything. <laughs> there. And you're just not. <laughs> you're just like need a toe. Yeah, I think we're part of the film. You know, something's going on in the house, and then some English guy turns up after crashing into a river with a rope in his hand. I mean, there's a very, very good chance they've never seen an English person before because like, this is this isn't this is like middle of Siberia, just by Kazakhstan, literally barren landscape. Anyway. So we get to, uh, yeah, knock on the door. The two policemen come out, and luckily they're quite young, and they look absolutely shocked. They just look like, like I don't, I, their expression's just indescribable. They're both carrying Kalashnikovs, which they slightly raised when they saw me, which uh, hmm. scared me slightly. Um, but turns out they weren't seeing anyone. They were just picking up one of their girlfriends. I say one of, as if they have many, I don't know. <laughs> I just assume they did. Oh, there's two of them, and it's, yeah, one of their girlfriends. Yeah, and then I kind of pointed at the tow rope and pointed to the road, and they kind of like got, got me into their Land Rover. And, uh, yeah, they pulled me out. Um, in fact, they were actually quite nice, fair play to them. They pulled me out and then showed me the right way to go. Um, so, yeah, we got out of that village, and I was, so, I was kind of like so relieved it didn't take that long to get the car out, and so I was kind of happy, in a good mood. I looked up another town like the closest city it wasn't you know too far away and say right we can stay here tonight and then the next day we'll just have a 15 16 hour driving day as i was thinking that the all right road out of the village once again turned into even more of a earthquake concrete just churned up butter kind of you know of a road it was that is the single worst road i've ever seen in my life there was a stretch for about was it worse than the roads near my house Yes, <laughs> oh, the district of Surrey. Sorry, yeah. No fucking way. Um, <laughs> yeah, you should definitely get on the council about that still. But yeah, it was it was terrible. So 
I kind of slowly drove up to this. It was only about a four, you know, the concrete was okay. And there was about a four, four, 500 meter stretch that was just god awful. Potholes to size or whatever. And there was a small uh, larder there, you know, for small Russian cars. Um, and there was also a, a, a kind of biggish small truck there as well. Mm. And um, so what happened there was there were two guys and they were laying slabs of concrete. Uh, on the big piles of mud to um, to try and get their truck over. So they were laying big like slabs of concrete to get the truck over. And they didn't speak a word of English. They were both kind of fat, typically Eastern Russian, with gold teeth and flat caps and whatever else. And they were kind of like using lots of hand gestures and using their, um, you know, just pointing a lot at mm-hmm. what kind of line to take through this mud. And I was so fucked off of the world at this point, I reversed back. And my plan was I'm going to stick it in second and just rev the fuck out of it through this 400-meter stretch of churned up, just desolate Sounds like landscape. a solid well-thought-out plan, that, mate. What are you going to do about <laughs> stick it in I second know, and, and rev fuck out of it? <laughs> I just... I had, the, I had the words of Colin McRae in my head going, <laughs> when in doubt, flat out. Anyway, I wind down the window because the guy with gold teeth came to say something to me. And as I said, he spoke no English, but for some reason, the only two English words he did say, and I swear to God this is true, were the words, send it. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> 100% that is true. He said the words, send it. And the person I was with, we just looked at each other and were like, did he just say that? Like, and, Send it. And that was the equivalent. Well, you know when you, like, you're like watching like a athletics event and they like shoot the gun at the start yeah Yeah. that was the equivalent of the gun going off when he said send it it just went (laughs) oh I love that I love that so much all I want in life is a Russian guy (laughs) to say send it to me and And anyway yeah stuck to my plan kept it in second the car was bouncing all over the place going from left to right at one point it nearly tipped over onto its side but I somehow managed to get it through this it was the best driving I've ever done in my life. I managed to get it through this patch. Just wouldn't give up. It just went through. And that's why I would love the Vauxhall Gila to the day I die. Gave the car, once we got through that patch, gave the car a once over to make sure none of the springs had broke or anything. It was fine. Obviously, still a little bit dented from the uh, getting crushed into a, a river. Um, so long story short, chaps, I made it to Moscow. We had a day in Moscow. I tried to get into Belarus. Turns out, I wasn't allowed in Belarus. So I then had an hour and a half to make it from the Belarusian border to Ukraine, the next country I could go into. Mm. I made it into Ukraine with 10 minutes to spare. Otherwise, I would have been deported and put into prison for six months without a trial. So you would have been a prisoner of Vietnam and Russia? I mean, partly wanted to, to be honest. Yeah, I mean... That's sort of like a Cold War themed prison you've got going on there. Are you just need to go, to go to every single post Soviet country and get put in prison there? Yeah, I just need to get China for the hat trick. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Kazakhstan just uh, just for a little bonus. Remind yeah, me not to go to China. So with that's you, then. my t- <laughs> 100%. That is my go to China when all this is over. That could be a good that could be a good option. <laughs> That'd be the worst place to go, shouldn't it? It's time for some Corona own back. 
Oh dear, stop eating bats, you bastard. <laughs> oh god. Anyway, that was that was my tale from the archive in part one. Join us in part two, and we'll be talking about the illustrious world of foreign food. Join us then. Welcome back to the Lost Luggage podcast. This section is all about our topic of the week, which is food. Food, glorious food, rats, spiders, and locusts. The more obscure a place you go, the stranger the food. Well, strange to us, at least. Whether it's hidden gems we can never get back home, or something that is so gut-wrenching, but you just have to try it. Food is always a huge talking point when going abroad, and also where you can bond with the locals or fellow travellers alike. So my first question to you, chaps... Is there a food you've had abroad, and we've been to quite a few places between us, that you can't get here but you absolutely crave? Hundred percent, yeah. And you know what it is. Go on. You, I'll give you a clue. I had it pretty much every day in Iraq. Kanafa. Oh, kanafa. Sorry, I forgot what it's called. Baklava, Thanks, explain yeah. what that is. Um, it's if you know baklava, the sort of Turkish thing that's sort of sweet. Um, don't know what the word for it is, but it's kind of like spaghetti-ish. It's that. Um, with syrup and a base of like savoury cheese and it's fucking sounds so wrong but it, I can't get it anywhere near me I had it it's like a <laughs> Lebanese dish. fuck me it's good that sounds really good mate yeah that tell you what really um, for me I I love Thai food and I, I've tried a few Thai restaurants um, in Manchester but it's just it's just never the same as when you're there I love a good Massaman curry or a Tom Yum or anything like that um, but I have had, I've had a few and I've tried making a few myself, funny enough. I, I do like being in the kitchen and you try and make these things yourself, but it's just never the same. But Thai food, I just I can eat it all day. I just absolutely love it. How about yourself? Um, it's true. I, I mean, obviously, living in Vietnam, the barmy sandwiches, which, if you don't know, oh. are kind of like a, a bit of a French steak about six inches long. It's essentially a cheap subway. And for like less than a quid, you can get three different types of meat and they pack it to the bone with chilli sauce. Yeah. And like so, you just like you have one of those a day. The cost of living is so cheap, and it was so rewarding, particularly after a night out as well. It was just a heaven, heaven, heaven in a hamburger kind of kind of situation. <laughs> yeah, banh mi is so so good. How it about any nice. food? Have you tried any foods that have shocked you when you've been travelling, where you not where you're a bit unsure, but it's actually better than you thought? Um. Yes, I guess I quite liked crocodile, although it did give me extreme food poisoning. Oh, go on. I might have mentioned it before, to be fair, but it, you know when I got stuck in Vietnam for uh, drawing on my passport? Yeah. I made friends with the with some guy who owned a restaurant, and he gave me some free crocodile. And I go, oh, this is quite nice. And he was. I saw how he, I walked into the, the kitchen for some reason. He let me into the kitchen. And I saw how they were cooking it, and they were cooking it on a flower pot on the floor. So I think we know why I got <laughs> food poisoning. <It's> fucking... <laughs> Things I like the food, but it just made me the kind of uh, it hindered me for the next two weeks. Oh Jesus! I mean, I've never cooked crocodile. Cooking it through a plant pot might be the way you do it. To be fair, <laughs> is it <laughs> fucked? Crocodiles and plant pots <laughs> should never meet each other. Those two food groups shouldn't exist. <laughs> Well, they're doing. Yeah, they don't exist in the world together. Well, I love, I love the fact that they were using a plant pot to cook stuff with. I was like, that's a, that's an obscure method. Yeah, true. I'll tell you what, actually, um, 
back onto your question, the, um, apart from that, when I was in Turkey, actually, they do these, they have like um, a stew, a stewed curry, which they have in like a, um, a, chi- a big, thick china bowl. And they cook a bread that seals around the bowl. And then you kind of break into the bread to get to the curry. That in Cappadocia, Turkey was insanely nice. It does sound good. I think I and saw Balding Bank about that one of them. Yeah, you can't you can't get it you can't get it anywhere in any Turkish places around here. It's kind of like a delicacy of the of the area, I guess. Getting hungry, guys. <laughs> I know. Yeah, all this talk of good food. Um, I remember. I um I remember being in Greece, and um, it was when none of the banks were were working. I'd only had a few um euros on me, and I seen this dish. It's called. I'm gonna try and not murder this now. It's called the aubergine tacupia. And that was like something that I did not fancy. It just an aubergine dish, and um, so I bought it. And it was the, it is still to this day one of the best things I've ever eaten. It's like an, a slow cooked aubergine. They cook it for six hours uh, with um, hazelnuts, lemon, and pepper and feta cheese. And I'm doing my research later on. It's actually like top five dishes in the world that you can that you can eat. And that was a massive wow. surprise. Speaking quickly of food poisoning, have you had anything that's given you the absolute shitstorms for a couple of days abroad? Um, not majorly. I had something in Sri Lanka which made me really shit myself. Um, nothing major though. <laughs> and then in, in Spain, I had a seafood pizza that was um, interesting afterwards at 1am. Let's just put it that way. Was it as raw as the fish they put on it? It was fucking, it was tasty. It was seriously tasty. But um, yeah, I, I lost half my body weight that night. Jesus Christ. How about Teddy yourself? No, I know, mate. I think lucky with me is because uh, I don't eat meat. Like well, I eat like rice or, and veg. That's true, yeah. It's hard to get food poisoned from that. So I never really get ill. Where when you're traveling and everyone's eating street food and they're eating chicken on a bone and or chicken yeah. on a stick, sorry. They get ill, and I'm just there with me, me rice inside a pineapple, and um, yeah, I always seem to be fine. That's a great advert for vegetarianism. Vegetarian, <laughs> we don't get food poisoning. If, <laughs> if not, the if, there's a bonus right there. <laughs> so, what what's the most disgusting thing you've ever eaten or ever tried? We could be been to some illustrious places between us. You know, in oh. Thailand, the, the spiders on sticks and all the street food and stuff, as you as you mentioned. So anything you've had, which is, you know, when whenever anyone asks you what's the weirdest thing you've eaten, what's your go-to? Can I throw two things out right now that just I have to get off my chest? One, Dorian. Has anyone been to Southeast Asia and tried the Dorian, the fruit? Dorian fruit, yep. Oh, my God. The smell hits you before anything else. That I just it, came, it, it certainly it comes from straight from Satan's ass ring. That smell. <laughs> it does. It, it smells like something only a rat would be interested in eating. And they're trying to give it to you, and you're like, I just really cannot eat that. Um, if not that, have you ever tried um, sustromin, which is um, no, a, that from? it's from Sweden and it is fermented herring. Oh, is that st- I've seen something in um, was it Norway or Iceland where they like have fermented sharks or something? Yeah, it could be the same sort of thing. I know this this is a Swedish dish. It comes in like on, um, comes comes a bit like sardines in like a sardine dish. But the minute you open the the tin, the smell hits you before anything. And I'm not even going to say what it tastes like. It tastes so salty. Oh, that's that's the worst thing I've ever put in my mouth. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Five. You sure about that? One hundred percent. 
Will, um, how about you? Uh, Most disgusting thing you ever had. I I was gonna say the the um goat's eyeball I had in Erbil, but I actually had a durian as well, and I think I actually kind of preferred the goat's eyeball to the durian. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not a really good. I, I, yeah, to be fair, I was there for that as well. So this family in Iraq took us in in some Yazidi village. And they fed us an absolute feast. And it was one of the most heartwarming experiences I've ever had, really. We all sat down on this massive rug and they kept out bringing out food. And I don't, I don't know if it was tradition, but for some reason, me and Will uh, got an eyeball each and ended up guzzling it down. That's definitely up there for one of the worst things I've had. Mm. Yeah, just close your eyes and swallow, basically. The advice I give for everyone. Yeah. Uh, other, other things I've had. I've had widgety grubs in the uh, Amazon rainforest. Ooh. And uh, there was this tribal community we were staying with, and they woke me and my friend up at like 1 a.m. and they took us uh, toad clubbing. <laughs> okay, sounds good. And I don't mean clubbing as in a disco. They oh. go out, they go out because all the toads come out in the evening. They go down to the rubber side and they just club them and then put them in a bag. That sounds like the most surreal experience. And they woke us up thinking it would be like uh, <laughs> they woke us up thinking it'd be like all oh, these Westerners would be real impressed by our way of life. And really, it was just deeply disturbing, and we wanted to go back to what sleep we could have got. But now, when we did go back to bed, all we could see were like poor toads being. Butchered. What a weird time to do it as well. You would have thought that, like you know, go toe club first thing in the morning. What's one a.m.? Gonna... Uh, I think I think it's because they're nocturnal, maybe. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah, you got me there. Your frog non <laughs> That old chestnut. Uh, Teddy, you've been to Cambodia, right? I have been to Cambodia, yes. Will, have you? Uh, no, I really want to go, though. Is it worth going? Definitely worth going, 100%. Yeah, yeah I want to go. So Teddy, when, when you were there, did you go to the one place in the whole country where they sell rat on a stick? Um, I did, actually. I seen rat on a stick, yes. And did you eat it? Or I suppose I, not, because you're vegetarian. I did not know. A few people do you, want with... to, do you want to hear from a man who did? Yes, please. Right, ladies and gentlemen, there is one place in the whole country where most coaches and kind of tourists uh, stop off, this random little lay-by. And um, they, well, quite rightly and self-evidently, they sell rat on a stick. And I do not say that lightly. It's exactly how you're imagining it right now. They get a, they get a stick, they shove it up the rat's ass, and they leave it on a barbecue. That is it. <laughs> oh, wait, sorry. I remembered one other weird food I had. Sorry, because it's similar to yours. Is In Hong Kong, there was... Uh... Soya soaked baby pigeon that was cooked. That was fucking gross. Oh, that sounds oh, fucking yeah. horrible. That was horrible and it looked horrible on the menu. Pigeon. Yeah, so anyway, the rat was by far the worst thing I've ever tasted. I think it was more the thought of it. It was so loose and tender and tastes like fucking tarmac. It was weird. Was it expensive? Oh, God, no. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> was it expensive there's more rats than people on this planet you fuck <laughs> has oh, anybody been they, to France they had a lot of them bit of that way hmm. so, I, I know you've been to France but has anybody has anybody tried uh, snails yeah I quite, yes I quite like them I quite like them that was a shocking food I thought oh this is I'm gonna prepare myself for this I'm not like it I had one I was like oh, that's, they, they do it in like um, garlic and pesto yeah. don't they let's go go lovely wait a minute is that not against your vegetarianism beliefs? Uh this was this was many many years ago uh, when I when the very first time I went to France. Fair enough, fair enough. Lo when I had a bit longer hair and better looking. 
<laughs> Would you guys recommend eating with locals and street food than going into kind of mainstream restaurants? 100%. Yeah, big time. Especially if you ever go to Singapore, because that's the most amazing food place on earth and the street food will knock your socks off. I think for yeah. me, it, it's it's far too easy to go somewhere where someone speaks a fair amount of English to help you with the menu and whatever else. Um, I think I, I would be an advocate of pushing people to kind of go somewhere cheaper, friendlier, more authentic and a place that, yeah, it might give you the shits, but at the same time, you're going to get an experience out of it. Mm. In Southeast Asia, you've got the little chairs and tables you sit on. Yep. Uh, it's like being in year two again or, you know, in, in, even in America, like the home brewed beers or the, the home, you know, the places that have been in the family for like hundreds of years and it's like a chicken place or whatever, mm. um, well worth going to. Yeah, 100%. And like you say, if, if you see a little street food place and all the locals are eating there as well, there's a reason that they're eating there. There's a reason they're not in the in the restaurant down the road. It, yeah, it, it is. Sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. I mean, I've had street food that's the same price as a, a restaurant food, really. And um, it's just been incredible. Yeah, good to hear. Well, I understand you had a you had a, ate a sheep's brain in Marrakesh or something. Yeah, Marrakesh. That was actually quite nice. Um, with really, it was okay. I mean, I'm not. It wasn't tasty, but it was definitely not horrible. It was, you know, you know the uh, the eyeballs we ate. Yeah, in a, a bill that was like horrible texture. It tasted like gristle. Whereas the brain, like you could, you were thinking it was a brain, but in your mouth it was fine. It was just like any other meat. Maybe uh, a bit more chewy, but that was that was totally fine. I'd eat I'd eat brain again. Definitely, I'm quite with food. I try not to be a pussy about it, and I try and just eat. You know, with that eyeball situation, I just stuck it in my gob. You can't be boring Aaron. when you travel. That's very true. That's very true. You need stories to tell. Yeah. Um, here's one for you. So, why when Brits go abroad, do we calculate everything by the price of beer? Why is that such it, a British thing? It's the most important thing. <laughs> <laughs> You take the man out of Manchester, but <laughs> you know that's Manchester the place. I'm going to this place. It's the beer cheap though, because if the beer's expensive, I'm probably not going to enjoy it. Yeah, if you ask someone how much is that, if you ask another English person, oh, how much is your hotel? They go twenty-four beers. Not bad, not bad. Exactly. It's a bizarre thing we do. I can't think of any other country doing something like that. Speaking of beer, where where have you had your cheapest experience of getting your cheapest pint? Um, well, again, like living in Southeast Asia for a bit, and there's there's kind of like families that brew their own beer. And I went to a place, I can't I think it might have been in Thailand, actually, and this family brewed their own beer, and it was like 5p. It wasn't quite a pint. It was probably about three quarters of a pint. But oh, they wow. charged, it was, it was the equivalent of eight pence. Wow, that is cheap. And so, it, you know, you can't really complain, even though it was shit beer, because it oh. was fucking 8p. But, you know... Um, yeah, that was by far the cheapest. How about you? Uh, well, I remember the first time I went anywhere with incredibly cheap beer. Talking many years ago, and I went to Prague for a stag do, and there was maybe sixteen of us, and there was like a bit of argument who was going to get the first round. And we was in, we was way outside Prague city centre. We was near where we were staying, so I just sort of said, "Oh, I'll get the first round because we're all going to have to get around at some point anyway." Yeah. So I got the round. We got sixteen beers in, and. They, they said whatever it was. And then as I was bringing all the beers back, uh, one of the lads said to me, how much was that? So I told him, we did it on the calculator. It cost me £6 for 16 bits. And yeah, I just remember, I'm never going home. This is incredible. 
That is absolutely top-notch quality. Tell you what, I, I spent a bit of time in the Middle East, and Will Will was there, being being there with me. You know, it's it's weird when you go to places like this that the the um kind of the study of the restaurant. You go into a restaurant you, in glamorous places. You kind of you're seating seating down for you. They tell you where to go. They bring out the menus. And in a lot of the Middle East, menus just don't exist. No, it was like a game of charades. Every time we had, every time we had a meal, we had to just sort. Of- Think of what English words we knew. Just we ended up just having a kebab every single fucking day for every meal. Pretty much. I mean, in Iraq and Iran, I'm talking about mainly here that menus don't exist. You can't just go to the place. I suppose if you spoke Arabic or Farsi or whatever else, you would kind of know which shop to go to, depending what you fancied having to eat. But we just saw a shop of food and assumed it was a restaurant. But really, maybe we just kept going to kebab places by accident. But you are right on what they're saying. They don't have a menu. You kind of they're kind of saying, what meat do you want, really? Yeah. The best Very thing when you're travelling, which I love seeing, is when menus are in the local language. So, you know, it's it's local and authentic, but there's pictures. That's that's the perfect balance. That's what you need. Yeah. yeah. Catering yeah. to English people, but you've just got a photo so you know what it looks like. And then you get you order it, and it comes out looking like completely something yeah, else. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> dear Lord, dear Lord. Okay, here's one for you as well. A stick, a sticking on the Asian theme, I guess. Where do you guys stand on chopsticks? Love Asian. It took me a while to learn how to use them, but when I was a guide out in Vietnam, it would annoy me when people would just go straight to the fork without even oh, trying. Oh, you got to give it a go. Yeah. I think that's part of the, it's part of the story, you know. Like if you go away somewhere and you start traveling and you struggle to use chopsticks, you know, it's, you either stick at them and develop and kind of learn how to mm. use them and then realize that that's how that's how kind of easy they are, or you kind of just give up straight away and go back to the fork. And it's, I don't know, I think when, when you're in when you're in someone's country, you should at least try and do things the way they do them. Yeah, I can eat most stuff with chopsticks, but like I had this place in Osaka or Tokyo where it was like huge bits of chicken. But there was no knives and forks, and like I didn't need, I, it was just cutting it. Like I had to just chew it off the chopstick, and I was like, "This is, this is the one situation where you should just have a knife and fork." Because the bit situation, rather than carefully pinch with the chopsticks, you just stabbed it with one and then picked it up and ate it like a stick on a rattle I think stick. I'm probably doing that, yeah. <laughs> they want to judge me; they can Lovely. throw me out. <laughs> I Having said that about kind of going to another country and uh, adjusting to their food culture, eating with your hands is just something that's really weird to mm. me. Sri Lanka, that was really big. Yeah. really freaked me out. I swear I, I kind of draw the line at eating with my hands, really. I mean, I, I have had Ethiopian food and it's absolutely amazing and you have to eat that with your hands. It's like um, a pancake and you eat the sauces. But oh, I've heard about that. I just, I really don't like the idea that my hands are uh, you, you're touching things all the time and you know and then i don't like the idea of then using them utensils to put stuff in my mouth so and uh, no i don't like keeping it in my hands at all particularly if it's if it's piles of stuff and you got everyone's hands going into that one thing it's kind yeah. of yeah, it's a bit, mm. bit bizarre that was how it was in um a bill was no in when that family gave us that meal wasn't it did we have forks there no definitely not no yeah you're quite right yeah we must have had something to eat. Oh, yeah, rice we had like weird, like wraps and bits of bread. We just stuck them in, didn't we? Oh, that's right. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, it was nice and cooked the meal, but get some fucking. You know the, the kids we met on that day still text me on Instagram. 
Oh no, really? And it's like talking to like a really bad AI from like 2008. So he just one of them just messaged me saying, "Oh, hello, I am the Yazidi from Lalish the other day," and I literally replied saying, "Oh, great, how are you?" And he just said, "Thanks." And then that's where the conversation ended. Brilliant. It's just a weird thing. Okay, last thing, last thing before we move on from food, I guess. Um, where do you guys stand on airplane food? Well, I love it again. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting because when you're eating airplane food, you're on a plane, you're going somewhere, you know. it's the, Even if the food's not good, it's kind of just fun, you know. And I don't know how it's true quite... this is as well, but apparently when, you, when you're when you such high altitude, your taste um, buds are different because all your senses are different, so you don't have the same taste. Um, yeah, 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 that makes sense. Well. yeah, and I, I always I love it. Me, I, I don't think I've ever had a, a bad airplane food. I love the fact you get like little starters. You have your main. You always get a little pudding. Love it. For mm. me, it reminds me of like I don't know if you guys had the same experience of when you were younger. If you ever had a friend or a sibling that had a Fisher Price kitchen and it had those like kind of like small fake foods. Yeah, yeah. it's exactly like that. It's like eating toy food. I'll tell you what, though, on a Air, I don't know what it was, Air Japan flight, they gave us pot noodle, and that really sorted me out. So simple, but <laughs> that was exactly what I needed. It depends. Best airline food you've ever had, what airline was it? Um, probably Qatar, to be fair. Qatar is known for being the best. Mine would be Sri Lankan Airways, because it was proper proper Sri Lankan vegetarian curry, and it was fucking immense. If anyone's, yeah. watching, if anyone's listening, go Sri Lankan Airways to Sri Lanka. And if you're a vegetarian, you'll have a Every minute you'll love that trip. I might just have to book the flight just to just try the food now, mate. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, where are you going, Mr. Simpson? I'm just here for the food. <laughs> yeah, flying straight back, Honestly, mate. Sri Lanka is vegetarian paradise. It's absolutely. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that. Well, the only thing that annoys me with airplane food is I always want more. I think they should, like, on the bigger flights anyway, should introduce, like, a WH Smith or, like, a little shop where you can just get some Haribo. <laughs> <laughs> you again with your Haribo addiction? It's not an addiction. I mean, you get Toblerone, they could have little bottles of Sprite, you know, uh, FHM magazine, anything. You know, when, um, you know when you see those videos online of like someone getting too drunk on a plane and they have to strap into the seat and land? <laughs> I can just imagine, I can just imagine Ollie being refused Haribos after his 10th packet and doing the exact same. <laughs> Give me my Tang Fast eggs. Okay, guys, we're landing in Gibraltar. We have an unruly passenger. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, we sorry, ladies and gentlemen. Um, this is the captain speaking. We are gonna the flight to Hong Kong is being delayed slightly, and we're gonna have to stop in Paris due to a passenger having his sugar overdose due to too many Harry Bows. Honestly, it's a real addiction. Anyway, I think that's a good time to leave food there for a moment. That's the end of part two. If you have any food stories, please send them in to the usual address. Join us in part three, where we've got a funny story coming in from one of you guys. How about that? See you then. Welcome back to the Lost Luggage Podcast. You join us in part three. And as regular listeners will know, in part three is where one of you guys sends us in a story. This time, we have our first ever American story. Uh, well, I say American story. It's from an American, and that's exciting because that just proves we have more than two listeners, which is good. 
Is the American who sent the story still living in America, or is it an American? Um, living I believe he's still living in America, which is which is great news. Oh, we, we've, yeah, we've, we've made it international. This is what the Beatles did. You retire. just hit the American market. And <laughs> <laughs> um, look, look where they are now. Shot dead in 1981. Exactly, that's well, the one. The most important one. I'll take it. Anyway, this story is from a certain Tom Gleason. <clears throat> Tom Gleason, his name. Um, the story pretty much backs, speaks for itself, so there wasn't really much backstory. Um, so I'll get stuck into it. And uh, yeah, if you have any suggestions or would have done something differently, let us know. And of course, if you guys have a story, um, we do get quite a few sent in. Please send it to ontherun.adventuresltd at gmail.com. Capiche? Let's get on with Tom Gleason's story. Here we go. I was studying abroad in Salzburg, Austria, and couldn't afford to go back home to the States for Christmas. A Slovakian friend of mine invited me to stay at his place in a small city in the middle of fuck nowhere, Slovakia. So it's a city, but it's still in the middle of nowhere, essentially, in Slovakia. Studying in Salzburg must be pretty yeah. interesting, actually. That must be a, a really fabulous place to... No wonder he couldn't afford to go back home. That's pretty expensive. For a student. I know, yeah. What a, what a glamorous yeah, place. That's lovely. As well. Salzburg. Anyway, so he's in Slovakia mm. with his family he's never met before. Um, his family had a very limited grasp of English. And it was a lot of hand gestures. But they, they were extremely welcoming and even gave, got me a Christmas gift, which was a traditional Slovakian T-shirt. Apparently, Slovakians have a tradition of keeping a big carp in the bathtub and then killing it and eating it for Christmas Eve dinner. <laughs> so I was watching a bit of Slovakian TV, and the next thing I know, I'm being ushered into the bathroom by my friend's dad and was handed a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> so wait a minute. So, so they've got the bathtub. The bathtub's filled with, wa- yep. uh, filled with water, and there's just, at this moment in time, a live koi carp. That they're leaving. How long's it been there? No, he doesn't. Say? So I'll, I'll just I'll carry on from there. So wait, 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 wait. Are you sure it wasn't like a gang uh, initiation type thing? <laughs> well, so most <laughs> people have to kill like an innocent bystander <laughs> on the streets, and he's got to kill a fish. Yeah, he's what got gang to kill a fish. I mean, I wouldn't want to kill a fish. I mean, I wouldn't either. I mean, this is gruesome. Straight out of Bratislava. Yeah. A crazy motherfucker named Fish Cube. I don't know. <laughs> Right. Yeah. We, we continue. Uh, so I was watching a bit of Slovakian TV. The next thing I knew, I was being ushered into the bathroom by his dad and was handed a hammer. He wanted me to crack the fish in the bathtub and then help him prepare it. I was about to back out because I never killed an animal in such a gruesome way. But then I realised if I'm going to eat something, at least I should accept responsibility for taking its life, which is quite a noble thing to do, I think. It's quite... Fair play. So he's never yeah. killed anything. Something tells me he's going to cock it up. Right. <laughs> I ended up... <laughs> so I grasped the hammer and I ended up missing the fish the first time and dented the bathtub. Is, is he just... Is he, he must be wild, just wildly swinging it now that he's not grabbed... Well, yeah, I can't say I'm going to be an expert because I've never killed a fish before, but it must be like wiggling about a fair amount. It must be pretty big. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. feeding the family. I, I ended up missing the first time and dented the bathtub. His dad points out several other dents through, um, from previous years where he had also missed. So I didn't feel that bad. So I tried again. Somehow this time, 
I missed the giant carp and hit the cold tap on the way back up. This resulted in somehow bursting the water pipe, and before you knew it, the bathroom started flooding. We were so panicked by this that we failed to notice the leaking bathtub and slowly dying fish. Unsatisfied with my hammering, <laughs> the dad then used the hammer again and proceeded to tip out some roses out of a vase and beat the living shit out of this carp with this empty vase. Hmm. This, this sounds like a sort of cacophony of, of emotion and triumph and failure. The fact that he emptied a fucking vase. Isn't a vase like yeah, item? Why would you want to use that? Who knows? Who knows? I think the hammer had caused too much damage. They didn't want to cause any more damage to the leaking pipe or anything. Oh, okay. Potentially. So the dad then used the hammer and proceeded to tip out some roses out of a vase and beat the living shit out of this carp with the empty vase. Well, after it was dead, he was still beating it as if he was letting out all of his frustration I had just caused him. (laughs) (laughs) I love the image of this man just with a vase, just completely frustrated, taking Mm. everything out of his poor wife. His wife wife had cheated on him with a fish. It really does give give a whole new meaning to the term battered fish. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, there's a time and a place for that. <laughs> that was, you, I'm glad someone got that fish pan. <laughs> that was a good one. Uh, that was pretty quick as, as well, actually. Thank you. Thank you, Will, for acknowledging that. <laughs> Sorry? Sorry to keep carping on about it as well, you know. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> I bet, I bet <laughs> he had, uh, a, a bit after that, after he beat the fish, he had fish fingers. <laughs> trying to think of more now. Do we? Fuck yeah, yeah. Should we just stop? Should we just stop with all the fish? Jokes? Yeah, I think so. Let's, let's, let's go. Anyway, um, so yeah, uh, so you're still beating the fish as if he was letting out all his pent up frustration I had just caused him. I later in life had nightmares that it was my face, not the carps, that was getting pelted by a vase. <laughs> That's the trippy shit. So he's got oh, he's wow. got PTSD from 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 this. No, I don't blame him. To be totally honest with you. <laughs> no. Particularly if you've never killed an animal. No, no I Because I've had to kill fish before and I didn't like it at all. When I, I yeah, did, when I was when, like 12 when I went fishing. And it's not fun at all. So that, that's essentially the end of the story. So I'll just, um, he just sums it up. Um, the next day we met up with his friends and went to two different ancient ruined castles, which were literally five miles apart from each other. And they, and they had no other visitors. Afterwards... We got some Red Bulls in brackets. He puts the, I got the impression Slovakians really love Red Bull. And then we smoked a joint in an old World War II Nazi pillbox bunker before jumping into a near frozen lake, which is apparently a yearly tradition. Mm. The end. I love, what a story. I love that little ending. I love the fact he's gone through all of this and at the end mentioned <laughs> I had to have a joint. And that, that, that's my yeah. favourite thing of the full story is he's batted, batted a fish He's missed it. He's knocked the tap off. Water's everywhere. Somebody's got a vase. Beat the living shit out of a fish. And at the end, he's just gone. Then I've had some Red Bull in the joint, which, to be fair, are two really important things. And to my do. point was it's normally after you smoke the joint that you envisage someone beating a carp with a vase. Yeah. I think if you've <laughs> yeah, never had drugs before true. in your life, that's when you'd probably start, you know, after that. <laughs> <laughs> or that's what you probably, or that's what you probably imagine. That- Drugs were. Yeah. 
getting visions of Slovakian men beating carp in baths. I mean, I'm always thinking about that. That's very true. I wonder what happened to the bathroom. If they fixed it, or what was the deal with the leaky to fix the pipe or whatever? Because when you had to, when you get a hammer to a pipe and it comes clean off, you know, it's not, that, that takes some fixing. But particularly on Christmas Eve as well, bloody hell, that would have really mm-hmm. dampened the spirit. Oh, I, I, I desperately want to know how long this carp has been in the bathroom for. Because you're not going to be able to get a shower with a carp, no, well, are you? <laughs> that's a how good point, actually. Been, I didn't think about that. It's like, you know, you know that kind of standard like American sitcom where everyone's kind of waiting outside the bathroom for someone to be finished? And like, it just cuts to the inside. There's a carp in there. Yeah. I'll be done in a minute. Just doing my, under my fins. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I finished. <laughs> Like, do, do you know what I'm saying? Has that been there for a day, a week, like a week, a long time? For and, yeah. and apparently, Slovakians have a tradition of keeping a carp in the bathtub and killing it and eating it for Christmas Eve dinner. Now, it doesn't really say um, how long the carp's there. It's quite interesting, though. Um, yeah, we, you, could, you couldn't have a bath on Christmas Eve. That'd be pretty annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe they've been growing it for a year. Maybe they get it. Maybe they get it on Boxing Day. Grow it for a year. You just have to keep taking a shower around it. You're watching this koi car just oh, grow it's, it's eating your year. like dirty skin and stuff. Fucking oh. <laughs> hell! But you know when you go to like South, when you like go to Southeast Asia and you've got those like um, spas and it's got the fish that eat the dead skin off. Yeah, I did one of those. They've just got one yeah. giant one that takes like a toe off or something. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Anyway, thank you very much, Tom Gleason, for sending in that wonderful story it did make us chuckle and once again if you have any stories you would like to send this in no matter how stupid no matter how embarrassing they may be please do on the run dot adventures ltd at gmail.com see you in part four where we're going to play a rather interesting take on a well-known show see you then Welcome back to the Lost Luggage Podcast. You join us in part four. Traditionally, this is the quiz. Um, slightly different this week. Uh, as we know, Will is currently leading the leaderboard of the quiz two to one to one to myself and Teddy. This week, we are completely stealing the Room 101 idea. It's been on TV for years, but it's taken from George Orwell's 1984 classic novel and depicts a room with subjects to which its prisoner is uh, revealing his or hers worst nightmare or worst fear. So traditionally, you put things in Room 101 that you despise, that you hate, and you just can't stand. So Will versus Teddy. They will each come up with an argument about travel or in the world of travel, and it will be up to them to convince me, the judge, jury, and executioner, which of those is willing to go, well, is, is the best argument for putting that particular topic in Room 101. It's me and me only deciding who will go into Room 101 or which topic will go into one at Room 101, um, which we can't legally call Room 101, so we're going to call it Room 102. So Teddy versus Will in Room 102. They will each come up with one singular subject to battle against, and it's best out of three. So they have three subjects each, and uh, yeah, best out of three wins the quiz and uh, gets another point on that all-important leaderboard. So... Would anyone like to volunteer to go first? Yeah, can I go first? Of course you can. So, Teddy, what is your first subject you would like to put into Room 101? Or 102, sorry, 102. Oh, this is my biggest fear. I don't have many fears. Not much scares me, but this is this is it. And it, the, the thing I'm going to put in, or what I suggest to put in, is spiders. 
spider, and, and and this only becomes relevant with traveling because in the UK we do have spiders, but you just have you know your little money spiders or little daddy long legs. When you go spiding, when you go traveling, you realize how big some fucking spiders are. And I've been in um, a van uh, in the Blue Mountains in Australia, and we've had a spider in the van, and I've had to get it out, and then later realized it's one of the dangerous, most dangerous spiders in the world. <laughs> uh, with I've been watching TV in Australia and I had um, a massive tarantula run uh, past us, um, toilets, spiders on the toilet seats. And to me, there's just nothing worse, nothing worse than going to bed and waking up with a spider over you, going into a public toilet and it's just full of spiders. It's just, it's just the worst thing about going traveling. It's the only thing I can think of that is just the ultimate. My my caveat to your argument would be if you went somewhere on holiday or traveling somewhere and didn't see a spider, it would be completely fine. And I think maybe it might be a bit harsh to throw a whole entire species into room 102, never to be seen again. Do you not think? No, 100%. It needs to be banned. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe in God, but anything that has eight legs and a thousand eyes was not created by God. It was a, a creation of the beast. So it has to go into... <laughs> so there's nothing about spiders you like at all. So at, at no. home, what do you do? Um, I would put a glass over them and uh, with a piece of paper and put them outside. I try um, not to kill them, but <laughs> if needs must, I so will take it out. So you've got some affection to them. If you try not to kill them, there must be some affection there. Yeah, well, I've, yeah, well you know, I have some affection to everything, but, you know, <laughs> doesn't mean I like them. Is that a quote to an ex-girlfriend? No. no. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, cool. Actually, can we take the spiders out? <laughs> <laughs> you can do it. They haven't gone in yet, so yeah. I just don't like they give it it's everything about them. It's the way they run up walls. It's the way they bury themselves. Um they're on the ceilings, they have the webs, the <laughs> snidey little gets. No, I just it's everything, it's everything about them. They've got a thousand eyes. Here's the thing. Do you, are spiders born knowing they can walk up walls? Do they just do it one time and they're like, what? Just <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, watching it make walk up a wall thinking, I want to give that a go. Well, the way you just depicted that is if the spider's been walking normally like humans for like two years, then one day it's like leaning up against the wall and it goes, I've got a bloody good grip there. I reckon I can make that. I genuinely, yes, exactly. That must be what they do. Just like, hang on a fucking minute. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, to be fair, you're kind of making me like spiders now. Um, okay, Teddy, you've you've made a quite compelling argument. I, I I don't really like spiders either. I mean, they do. They are quite. I they're, they're mischievous in a way. I, I I wouldn't again. I wouldn't kill them. Um, but I have you know massacred my fair share. From a you know when they when they just surprise you and just they kind of sneak from one room to the other but not realizing yeah um so I do get where you're coming across so will what have you got to counteract Teddy's argument and you're battling for the only space in room 102 currently so what have you got to uh, counter that so mine is very similar to spiders it is Brits abroad <laughs> so <Ooh>. wait <laughs> just just to clarify very all, just all British people. No, 100% not all British people, but a very specific type of British people that I used to see on the EasyJet flights from London Heathrow to Malaga back in back when I was like 15. That person. Okay, so c- carry on your argument. 
Well, on the other episode, when we were talking about the people who turn up to the airport wearing tracksuits and like full on matching pink tracksuits and whatever, that's the type of Brit abroad that is that ruined the name. Literally, I, d- I don't know, you don't really see it too much in like East Asia where we go, but like in Spain, in France, everywhere. I can, I can. Guess where these travellers are going? Are they going yeah, to Benidorm? Going to, I know people who go to Benidorm and every time they tell me, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? But they're the type of person <laughs> who would go there. And it's just, um, I think it's just like a sort of embarrassment thing. Like, there, I, I think there are, there are worse groups of tourists. Um, I think generally Chinese mainlander tourists are the worst. And right. a lot of people agree on that. So far, Will, you're not convincing me. At the moment, you're just saying you're annoyed at other Brits for going to Benidorm and wearing tracksuits. Well, I think it's like the fact that they give us a bad name. It's not the, how much we hate them. It's the rep that they give us. So it's their their behaviour. It's their behaviour. It's it's like the loutishness, the drunkenness. It's it's always a te- step too far from being fun and a, a bit like crazy. And it's just it's just rude sometimes. I've seen like videos of like cafes getting trashed and stuff like that. And it's just, just embarrasses me a little bit. But um, the main reason is because it's, you get sort of guilt by association and I don't want to be sort of seen as one of them. And it's hard to keep away that image, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I see what you mean. So you're more, it's more the, you, you feel ashamed to be British because you're, um, you're kind of by blood associated to these people that are kind of giving us yeah, People it's like in, football hooliganism. Yeah, exactly. People in Spain and Portugal must see English people come all the time. We must be so boring to them. And it's annoying because when you go somewhere like Asia and stuff and you meet Americans and Canadians, you're like you're like special to them. They go, Oh my god, you're you're like English or you're Irish or Scottish. But in a lot of Europe, you're just a lout. Yeah, that's a fair point. You know yeah, what I mean? so I think even even a hangover from the seventies and eighties when the kind of we got banned yeah. from European competitions in, in football and stuff. Yeah, I can understand. It's still mm. a hangover from there, I guess. And that is quite annoying. But I've, I've never gone to Spain or France or Italy or anywhere like that and I felt um, I'm being judged for being English yeah. uh, or British for that matter. So it's, it's a difficult one to decide between the two of your great arguments. Um, can, can I just, before you make your mind up, I've just... Now, we've all been mates with one of these specific Brit abroads or we all know it and we all know one but none of us have ever had a pint with Steve the Spider down the road have Mm. we? (laughs) I've never seen Spider but I have got a mate Brit abroad so just bear that in mind (laughs) What what I thought you were going to say then is like (laughs) we've all got a mate who's (laughs) who's one of those Benidorm people but we've never had to kill him with a slipper Yeah Exactly. Good point. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Fair point. Um, yeah. So Teddy, I, I do get, I do get what you're saying with the spiders. Um, they are very, very um, inconspicuous. They do appear out of nowhere, and they are quite freaky. But at the same time, we can, you know, kind of live without them. Um, and will can we can we live without people in Benidorm? I think I think we can. I, th- I think we can. I I I, I mean. I think Teddy made a better <laughs> argument, but I, I cannot I cannot disagree with what Will said. Those people are trash and they do give the British a bad name. So Brits aboard, go into room one oh two.
Oh, how did that make it in all the spiders? <laughs> to be fair, Teddy, Teddy. Spiders, spiders, spiders are disliked worldwide by many people. No, We're putting no, Steve Teddy, 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 Teddy. Brits world. abroad are disliked by people all around the world. Yeah. Also, well, the wandering spider. Teddy, the wandering spider can, I, can kill a man can in we, like 10 minutes, we, but how dangerous are 10 scouts, guys? Definitely <laughs> more dangerous. One spider no, or. Not, <laughs> No, I'm still going spiders. I I want I want an inquisition. I anyway, want people anyway. to email in now whether anyway, Brits are anyway. spiders. We're always currently winning one 0 We're going to move on to round two now. Uh, back to you, Teddy. So, what do you have you got to chuck in to the most undesirable place? That is room one hundred and two. Taxes. taxes, and most specifically, taxi mm, prices. Go on. I just you get you get off a long flight and you land say in in not to give uh, any country. I'm just going to say Greece and. You go in five mile up the road and he says 50 euro and you're just tired. You want to go back to where you want to go back to your hotel and he's saying 50 euro. You know, it's 10 euro, 15 euro maximum. Then you go to the next taxi driver and he's saying 45 and it's just the whole sure. trying to just get the the, the 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 right price that you know it should be is right. really frustrating Um, or, or even uh, above that. You get in a taxi, you don't have, ask for the price. You get to your door and he says something stupid and he didn't run the meter. You end up spending loads of money on something that should have cost you five dollars, five euro, and he says thirty-five. And I think it's happened to most people traveling where they have been stunned by a ridiculous taxi price, either drunk, going from the airport, going on an excursion or something. It's just I absolutely hate trying to get a good price. How many, for a taxi. How many times has this happened to you? Do you reckon roughly? Every time you, every time I go somewhere new, you, you're always arguing so over a taxi price. Not I just find everyone to kind of just negotiate a price before you get it. Yeah, but that, that's what I'm trying to say. Is, is the the whole trying to get the price before mm, you get problem. in as well? Okay, I see what you're saying. So you know, you, and then and then when you get there, it's always a thing. When you get there, how much did it cost you to get here from the yep. airport? Or how much did it, how much it cost you to get it? And it's always a question everybody asks because they want to know, did they get a better deal? And then you feel robbed. And then next time you're going again, you're thinking, well, he got it for, yeah, for five yeah. euro. So then when you get a taxi again, you're trying to get it for five euro. And it's just... Funny, funny you should mention this because me and Will had this when we went to Iraq, actually. And we got charged like a flat rate of, I think it was around $30 um, from, a, from a kind of airport transfer to our hotel. But then on the way back, I think it was like less than five. Um, yeah, well. So I do understand where you're coming from. I, they are con artists, and remember the taxi driver when I got stuck in in Vietnam, and I gave him a tip because I didn't think I needed my money. And then we, uh, and then when when we, when we realised I got stuck and I had to go back into Saigon, the city, and then taxi driver he conned me and my mate. He um, pretty much we said we wanted to go to this specific hotel. And he's like, no, 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 I'll take you to my friend's yeah. hotel. Then he wouldn't let us out of the car. Um, and then taxi drivers in England as well. You know, I've, I've had friends and stuff taken hostage for not like. You know, for, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's and it's frustrating, isn't it? You always feel like you know you're not doing anything wrong. You've only got into a taxi, and you end up what with this big headache. Yeah, weird breed of people. Taxi drivers, best taxi drivers in the world, in my opinion, are those in Ireland. They are they are friendly and always up for a good chat. But yeah, I see what you're saying. I do see what you're saying. Saying that though, like if you go to Thailand and you're on the tuk tuks and stuff, they're, they're always a good laugh. And yeah, it can be good. Sometimes. Relatively cheap, and like the rickshaws are relatively cheap. Um, but for every for every good one, there's about five that will charge you too much. I get what you're saying, Teddy. I do get 100%. what you're saying. So taxi fares with Teddy. Will 
And it, what are you going to counteract that with? What are you chucking into room one eighty? It's hard because I think taxis is a really, really strong one, and I agree so much with Teddy. But um, I'm going to I'll try and counter persuade. My one is kids on planes and coaches. That is a strong contender. Go on. Yeah. I know that what you're going to say, Will. That's not travel related because you can have kids in cinemas, in restaurants, anywhere. But it's a whole different board game when you've got a kid in for, on the seat in front of you for a 13-hour coach journey and you were out last night and didn't sleep at all and it's an overnight fucking coach. That is hell to me. And I don't think anything could be worse. And I know the taxi <laughs> thing. I hate the taxis thing because, you know, for the exact same reason. Sometimes it can be so lovely and easy and you just get a five-euro taxi straight there. But sometimes, I remember in Vietnam, I got someone tried to get a hundred quid for a 30 minute taxi. And then one time in Saigon, it was nothing, but sometimes it pays off and it's good. Kids on planes is never good. They never sleep. They never shut the fuck up. <laughs> they never stop talking to their parents. My last long haul flight, London, was it London to Singapore? Yeah. Um, there was a whole family in front. They had a newborn baby, a two year old and a five year old. Cause I overheard them talk about their ages. Can yeah, you I, I agree. If I we'll just interject there quickly. Yeah. I do agree with what you're saying. If I was a father or a parent of any kind and I had a newborn baby who is under six months, I would not be taking them abroad. I think they lived in Singapore and they were going home. Well, no. I mean, it, it's, it has to happen, but it's still an annoying part of travel. What, what annoyed you specifically? Well, the fact that they would, well, the fact that the three-year-old and the five-year-old um, kept staring at me over the seat, you know when they do that? Yep. Um, making tons of noise, reaching behind the seat, kept asking stupid questions, just would not shut up. Or asking you? Like, no, asking their parents, but like really loud and that voice that they do, were like, Dad, why is, why is that woman carrying food? And you're like, oh my God. Mummy, that woman has a hat. Yeah, it's something that would be kind of cute if it was your kid, but you're just like, it's just annoying to you. Why didn't you move? Or could you not? No, I couldn't. It was an allocated seat. Well, that was on a plane with the family. Um, yeah. yeah, I do understand what you're saying. It is very annoying when you've got like, I remember I got on a bus once and it wasn't a child or anything. It was a dog. Um, but there was a dog and its tail got caught between the gap in the seats. And it, it kept wagging, but it was like hitting me in the face each time. And I was too polite to say anything about it. <laughs> that I would, um, I would give a hundred pounds to s- just see that, <laughs> just to watch. It, just it, honestly, there. I, I had, I had, it was a period of my life where I had no self respect, and I probably deserved getting slapped in the, so in the well. face. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I do understand what you're saying. Well, when I guess on a long haul flight, but you, you kind of chose to go on that flight in a, in a weird way and that was always a gamble you, you had to take That's very on true. that flight um, so Teddy a closing statement for taxi fares in 10 seconds uh, well just better prices just be fair straight away We don't, nobody wants to go to four or five different taxis to, to try and get the price that they know it should be even if it was just a little bit more expensive you think okay but when it's twice the price it should be annoying stop doing Will. it Fucking kids on planes. That's all I have to say. <laughs> so annoying. I don't have to justify it. Well, okay. Okay, so I've made my mind up. 
So yes, I do. Will kids on planes is fucking annoying, but sometimes, just like the taxi drivers, you get good ones, you get bad ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and just going off past experience, I've had more twatty taxi drivers than I've had annoying kids on planes. So on this occasion, taxi fares and taxi drivers are going into room one hundred two. Um, so we go on to our final and our deciding round of what's going to go into room one hundred two. Uh, so once again, we will start with you, Teddy. What is your closing argument? And this is to win the quiz and potentially draw level with Will. Okay, this I'm sure has stung every single person when travelling, and it is checkouts. Stupidly early checkout times, ten o'clock in the morning, and you've got a nine o'clock flight at night, and there's nothing you can do, and you've got to check out, and you've got to be around your hotel all day in the same clothes. You can't get changed. You don't know where to put your bag. You've got to put your bag in a room. Then you've got to wait for the receptionist to get your bag. And I just think, surely we can extend the checkout times a little bit further. Now, I used to work in um, a hotel and, and hostel, and I know how quick it is to clean a room. It's not that bad. So to give... And then the check-in time's like 4 o'clock, and you think... 10 till 4 to clean the room. Why am I checking out? But aren't they cleaning? They're not just cleaning that one just, room, they're cleaning a load of rooms, right? Well, yeah, but again, that's if you're talking about the hotel, that's you'd expect everybody to check out the same day. They don't, do they? Only a, a percentage of the hotel. Yeah, but the rooms still get cleaned day. every day. Uh, again, I used to work in a hotel and a hostel, so I know it works. So your maids will do, or your cleaners will do your check in rooms first. And they'll have a list of all the rooms that are having checking people that day. Then you'll have your maintenance rooms that they can clean throughout the day. So you, your rooms that are getting somebody checked in are first. So oh, I just hate getting checked out at 10 o'clock. 12 o'clock, I think, is fine. Giving three hours to do uh, all the rooms uh, it should be fine. I know yeah. some hotels let you pay like an extra £5 and you could check out at two. I love that. But they're that's, my favourite. Yeah, that's a pretty good That's a that's a pretty good gap, to be fair. It's a pretty good idea. I think more hotels should do that. But early checkouts, you know, you can still leave your bags there. You can still, you know, visit wherever you are, go around the town or the city you're staying in. Um, yeah, do you not do you, no leeway whatsoever? Are you really early? The stupidly early ones, like pre nine o'clock, can, they, they there's a firm place reserved in hell for those. That's just there's certain, there's certain, there's certain hostels that are like eight o'clock in the morning checkout. Really? Yeah. Right. And then, like, again, you've been on a night out, you've not got in till two, three o'clock in the morning, and you've got to be checked out by eight. And then you might not know where you're traveling, or you might have a real late one going on. I just really cannot stand a really early checkout. It's just one thing that always annoys me. Mm, mm. And I always seem to get stung with a late flight or a, a late bus. Or... Fair enough. Fair enough. I see exactly where you're coming from. Uh, so, Will, your your closing argument to chuck something into room 102. So, my closing argument is travellers who are fussy eaters. We've all met these people, and I know I'm appealing basically to Ollie's own personal beliefs here, because I know Ollie feels the same way about this as me. Tactical. But some people, I do not get it. You see some of the most amazing food in your life in... China and Vietnam and Macau, Hong Kong, and some people will go to McDonald's and get a Big Mac. Now, we all like Big Macs, but surely I don't get people who just can't try. 
Do you know what I mean? I don't care yeah. if they hate it, but just give it a go for fuck's sake. Like just some of it looks so amazing, but there were some people I think in Vietnam intro who were really just like just wanted burgers pretty much for every meal. Yeah, I mean, not to probably bleep out the company name, but Will you kind of you kind of like t- touch my heartstrings a little bit in terms that I can remember. Ind- I remember individual people, and I met hundreds while working in Asia. Um, individual people who wouldn't necessarily try anything. And I'm I'm I'm, I'm a, I think I've not got the most cleansed palate, and you know I'm quite a fussy eater. But it, so if I try something, I know someone else can. Mm. Um, but it's it's the people who and that annoy me go, who go automatically go to burgers and chips first. Yeah. I'm willing to try. I think if if you at least try, don't like it, and then go to burgers and chips, I haven't really got too much of a problem with that. But yeah. it's the people who are just unwilling to admit that a different race of people, a a different community, a different country does things differently and are unwilling to involve themselves despite spending hundreds, if not thousands of pounds, putting themselves in that situation. Well, that's the thing, because some people spend, you know, like £700 on flights to go Cambodia, and it's like, you're not going to eat the food. That's like, for me, food is at least 30 to 40% of why I like travelling. Yeah, but not everyone well, else does, though. Most people go for the views, for the, for the well, ground. I mean, the, you know, food, you travel on your stomach sometimes, and depends where you are, I guess. But if you, you're in Asia, you're going to have a good time with cheap, seriously good food. And I just and you, hate people who miss out on it. Yeah, are you, uh, that's, it's very true. But, you know, some people take the are kind of like slow burners and they take a bit longer to kind of adjust and they need to be eased in, maybe starting out with some faux and then... Mm, um, but I mean, those people will eventually go into it. I'm talking about the people who categorically refuse to change, who will never, who just go straight to the burgers. And that's the sort of people I'm talking about. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And do you have any specific examples? Not ultra specific. Do you, you know, just everyone, there was one Irish guy I met who was actually a really nice guy, but he, yeah, he, every single meal in Sri Lanka, it would be a burger. And it was always KFC, always a burger. And some of the food in Sri Lanka was just amazing, like vegetarian curries, amazing doses. And, you know, just didn't have it. Yeah. And- I mean, specifically, I think um, with Brits anyway, I think, you know, we never know when the next meal is going to come when we're abroad. You know what I mean? So you kind of want to stick to what you know a little bit and and make sure that you're going to be full. Yeah. I mean, I remember being at that cafe when we stopped in Vietnam and we were doing that cycle, which I guess Teddy's done as well but um, had some tofu that was like in a tomato sauce. And it was all the money I had was like 20,000 dong. It was fucking amazing. And it was just because I took that sort of risk and went with a cheap, good option. There's no, I just don't think there's any excuses, you know? Yeah, for sure. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. So Teddy, final statement on checkouts, early checkouts. We've all been stung by early checkouts. I, I don't think there's a person out there who's not been on a big every night or they've got a flight that they've got to get to really late on and they just wish they had a few more extra hours in that room. But a fussy eater only affects fussy eaters. I can still eat my food. So bear that in mind when putting it in the room. And William, final statement. Oh, that's a very good point, Teddy, actually. But um, I would say that... Conquering your fear of getting over exotic foods is the first step on the road to opening up yourself and becoming confident. So really, I'm doing it for them. 
Uh, <laughs> fucking hell. I'm selfless. It's not that I'm annoyed, it's that I want them to be better. <laughs> All right. I don't agree with that last statement whatsoever, and I think you're trying to make a few leaps and jumps there. Anyway, I, I've come to a conclusion and come to a decision. Um, so, yeah, Teddy, I get what you're saying with the checkouts. It is fucking annoying having to get up early, particularly if you know everyone likes to enjoy their last night as a bit of a night out. Um, I've been there, certainly. And Will, uh, yeah, fussy eaters, I think it's more... I don't think it's necessarily the food, you know. I think it's more the behaviour of certain types of people when, you know, they're, they're not willing to kind of give over to another another society's way of living or another community. So I don't think it's necessarily the food. Um, well, it's a tricky one. It really is. You've left, you've both left the best two to last, I believe. It, it really is a tricky one. Um, uh, where do I go from here? I think the thing is, yes, with a checkout, it can be annoying if it is stupidly early, but you still have got the day to do stuff. And even if you've got an early flight, you can rest at the airport and at the plane. Um, and maybe getting up early isn't a bad thing when you're trying to organise transport and stuff to do. Um, and then with fussy eaters, I, I don't. Again, I don't think it's the food; it's the people. And people like that do fuck me off. So, Will, I'm putting fussy eaters into room 102. Congratulations! You have won <laughs> another quiz. You're winning three one one. Lovely. Thank you, man. I was going to give a little bit of advice for anyone travelling. If you're going to Hong Kong and uh, you have to check out early from your hotel, uh, you can give in your bag at a reception centre in the centre of Hong Kong and it will turn up at the airport when you get there so you can spend all day shopping. Uh, without a bag to put anything in? Huh? Without a bag to put any of your shopping in? You can you can use the shopping bags that the, the shops give you. <laughs> oh dear. Okay, fair enough. Anyway, good effort, boys. That was good. Um, very well played. Um, but we've come to the conclusion of yet another grand episode of the Lost Luggage Podcast. We kind of reach a little bit of a milestone next week because it will be our fifth podcast. Not really sure if that's a milestone, but we'll we'll we'll, we'll wing it. Um, so it's time to pack our bags and take the next flight home. Once again, we draw to the natural conclusion and we're always after new travel stories. So once again, email on the run ltd at gmail.com and we will do our best to read them out. Of course, if you've got any suggestions for a topic we haven't covered yet, we are all ears. My thanks to Will and Teddy for joining me once again. My name is Ollie. We'll see you next week.